Hello, everyone, and welcome to Between the Pages, a podcast on books and sexuality hosted by yours truly, Caitlin Bacora. All right. So hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Between the Pages. Today, we are super excited to have repeat guest Kate Sloan on the podcast today. Um, Kate Sloan was on the podcast about six months ago. They're a writer that specializes in sex, kink, and relationships. Her writing has appeared in publications like Cosmo, Teen Vogue, Glamour, and her award-winning sex blog, girlyjuice.net, has been going strong for nearly a decade. And she also co-hosts the acclaimed podcast, The Dildorks and Question Box. And her book, 101 kinky things even you can do is out now um, from Lawrence <laughs> King Publishing. You can keep up with her work by following her on Twitter at girly uh, underscore juice or Instagram girly underscore juice. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thanks for having me back. Yeah, so excited that uh, I could have you back uh, literally like the day that your book launches. It literally came out today. It came out yesterday and we're doing the launch party tonight. So yeah, big couple of days for me, uh, considering I'm like a super anxious person who's now having to like do all this stuff, but uh, it's very exciting and it's been very nice hearing people's response to the book. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like there's been like a lot happening for you since we last touched base, you know, all, all those many months ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have this book and then I have another book coming out in six months, which is like already kind of freaking me out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to do this again. Uh, but I'm very, very grateful. You know, it feels great. It's a dream come true, literally. That's amazing. Wait, so what's the other book about? The other book is in a series that Lawrence King Publishing is doing called 200 Words to Help You Talk About. So they've done philosophy and art so far. And basically they hired like an expert in the subject matter to define a bunch of terms. And the one that they assigned me was sexuality and gender. So a lot of very difficult to define words and terms in there. But that one was also really fun to write. Oh, wow. So it's like basically all the words that are in sort of the umbrella of sexuality and gender. Yeah. And like a whole bunch that you wouldn't necessarily think of right away because uh, it did have to be 200. So not only kind of more basic like sexual orientation definitions and like gender definitions, but also stuff like, you know, from queer history or terms that, you know, you hear a lot in these spaces, but don't necessarily know what they mean. Oh, cool. I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Yeah. Uh, two books in the span of a year feels pretty wild. I'm very impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but honestly, I'm, I'm just like really thrilled to have the opportunity to write for a living. It's, it's really a lovely thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you gave a little bit of a preview of what 101 Kinky Things is about um, when you were on before, but I'd love for you to remind folks like what the book's about, how does it fit into maybe the rest of the work that you do around sexuality writing? Yeah, sure. So 101 Kinky Things Even You Can Do is intended to be an introductory guide to kink and BDSM for people who are curious about it, but maybe haven't tried too much of it before. So there are 101 activities in it, ranging from stuff that you've probably heard of and maybe even tried, like spanking, sensory deprivation, bondage, the kind of more intense things uh, like urethral sounding or erotic hypnosis or lactation fetish and various things. And the idea is just to give like a really broad introduction to a whole bunch of different things that you could try because my experience with 
introductory kink resources is that they often focus on kind of the the main few kinks that a lot of people know from like 50 shades of gray and whatnot and the fact is like not everybody who is kinky is going to necessarily be into those things and so yeah i wanted to offer a resource that had a lot of different options in it and also every section has some information about like safety and risks involved in that activity as well as three suggestions for how you can try it and i tried to keep those suggestions accessible both to people who have a partner and to people who don't. I love that. Yeah. That feels like super accessible, not even just like kind of the range of things you're talking about, but also like having those practical like application examples feels like at least for someone who like is a very concrete thinker like myself, like very, very helpful to be like, oh, this is actually something that I could do because here's some ways to do it. Yeah, I am very uh, intrigued by like kink nerds discussions of sort of like high level like theory and philosophy behind their kinks. But I agree with you that I often want kind of a more concrete example, especially when I'm trying to get into something new and like it can seem so big and scary, especially when you talk about kinks that are represented in pretty extreme porn, like I don't know, cuckold or like cake sitting or I don't know various things but then you know there's always ways to sort of tiptoe into that even if it's just like a shift in mindset or like watching porn or fantasizing so yeah I wanted people to feel like they could dive right in yeah and like what would be the easiest way to kind of like use or read 101 kinky things like is it something where you kind of like flip around and see something that you're interested in and explore that I do have a section at the beginning of the book that is sort of like how to use this book because yeah I think that it's probably something that you might want a little guidance on but my suggestion would be like read the introduction because it contains a lot of definitions of terms that I'm using throughout things like topping and bottoming subspace and top space consent risk aware consensual kink just like really important foundational concepts. And then I want people to read the aftercare chapter, which is right at the beginning. Aftercare, for those who don't know, is something that kinksters do after they play. And it's sort of just like a way of returning your bodies and brains to the real world after the really like physiologically and emotionally intense thing that kink can be. For some people that would be like cuddling. For some people it's like having a conversation about what just happened. Maybe there's snacks, maybe there's Gatorade. So I think that that's really important. But then after that, I think people should pretty much like look through the table of contents either by themselves or with a partner and kind of just like pick out things that appeal to them. Because I think that it's not always the best if you try to sort of like force yourself to get into certain kinky things just because they're, you know, cool or like they're what your friends are doing or they're what you've heard of. I think it's really best to use your own intuition and your own like inklings of interest as your guide. Yeah, that makes total sense. And it's really smart of you to like have already kind of pre-thought out like, okay, people are probably going to want to figure out like how to use this and like into make sure to put sort of like some of the the safety pieces like aftercare um, at the forefront to make sure that folks are kind of aware of that going into it. Yeah. And I remember um, as you were talking about it, because when we, when we checked in, you know, you're in the editing process, but you know, you had talked about using kink actually as part of your writing process. And I wondered if you could kind of expand on how that worked. Yeah, sure. So my spouse, Matt, is also my dominant and they have had a pretty big hand in like my motivation and productivity for like the entirety of our relationship. They're a very like motivating and and productivity obsessed person just in their own life. And so I think that they enjoy, you know, bringing that element to my life in kind of this structured kinky way. So before I ever started on the book writing process, I had like a shared to-do list note that Matt had access to every day. And so they would go in and like 
you know, keep tabs on my progress, which I found very motivating. So we decided to kind of take that further when I got the book deal and they like put all these things on my calendar, assigning certain sections for certain days so that I wouldn't have to like expend the mental energy of figuring out, okay, which ones do I want to write today? And I had a certain number that I had to hit every day because I was trying to write the book in three months, which was like a really, (laughs) the deadline was fast approaching. And so at the end of every day, Matt would read me what I had written that day and we'd kind of talk about it. Maybe they'd suggest some edits or some additions. And then at the end of the week, if I'd completed all my assigned sections for the week, then they would send me a meal on Uber Eats or some delivery service um, so that I like wouldn't have to cook. And like, that was kind of the, the reward that we settled on. I know that different submissives would have like different things that are motivating to them. I'm very into food uh, (laughs) and I'm lazy. So that was a really nice thing for me. Yeah. It just really helped keep me on track so that I didn't get to a point where like the deadline was a week away and I was frantically scrambling to finish things. Yeah, no, I would imagine like I haven't actually kind of used kink in that way, but like I'm a very externally motivated person. And so I Mm -hmm. I see that as kind of like an offshoot of being externally motivated where you like, you have to have that structure or someone else being like, this is when you need to have this thing done or else it won't get done. Yeah, totally. And I think that outside of the framework of kink, I've sometimes felt really guilty about being externally motivated in that way. Like if I, you know, ask someone to kind of keep me accountable that I was putting too much pressure on them or something. And I think kink offers us this framework where like you can very explicitly negotiate what is and is not part of that arrangement. And you can make sure that the other person is like consenting to that. It's not something I would do with someone who is going to feel like resentful about having to do this work. Like Matt genuinely takes a lot of pleasure in helping me and guiding me in this way. So it was this really kind of like beautiful collaborative process. I love that. And is that the first time that you all have used that um, kind of in the context of like productivity in that way? We've used it for various other things. Like, especially if I have like a big article that requires like multiple interviews and rounds of edits and research and all of that, sometimes we'll break things down and, and have Matt kind of like take a guiding role in terms of how and when I do things. But the book was definitely one of the biggest projects I've ever worked on because I'm a person who comes from journalism. So I was writing like blog posts and articles mostly. So yeah, I was very helpful to, you know, not have to go into that process by myself. Yeah, I'm sure. And I always am curious about like, I'm such like a nosy like person when it comes to people's like writing processes. Cause I've, I'm like just like a nerd and I love hearing about it. So Same. I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not alone. <laughs> I've read so many blog posts about like, what did Virginia Woolf do in the mornings when she was writing or whatever the fuck? I know, I know. Or like, <laughs> what's the morning routine? I'm like, I need to know everything. Um, yes. <laughs> so like, I'm curious, like what, what does your writing process look like? What's your setup? Do you have like snacks, beverages, like paint us a, paint us a picture. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I love this question. My writing process is actually really chaotic. I have fibromyalgia. So like, I basically have to, you know, arrange my work schedule based on like how my body and brain are feeling that day. But basically, like, I so I quit a day job a few months ago that I'd had for several years. So at this point, I'm fully self employed. So I can wake up when I want, which is like, the best. So I usually wake up around like 11 or 1130. And then I'll like eat something while answering my emails. And then I'll try to work for like a dedicated chunk of like two to three hours on writing stuff, because I find that I can't like switch back and forth very effectively between tasks, like I really need to be able to get into that flow state. And I really try to be done working by like five or six, because 
I just, I don't know. I've learned, especially with fibro that like pushing myself too hard is just not good for the creative process for me. I know that it works for some people, but I'm not somebody who can like sit and, and write for like 11 or 12 hours. Like some of my writer friends, I like caffeine. I like snacks. Uh, I got to have good instrumental music. I have like a Spotify playlist called I'm a writer. That's just like all instrumental <laughs> songs of like various different genres. And I like to have that on or like, depending on the project, I might pick a specific playlist of instrumental songs that like fits the vibe that I'm going for. And I think uh, with this book, I listened to a lot of band called Robot Science that does like really cool kind of instrumental. I don't know if like chip tunes is quite the right term for it, but like just really like up-tempo, fun, modern sounding instrumental music that felt sort of like fun and accessible the way that I was trying to write the book. Wow. Interesting. Okay. I need to check it out because I am all about the instrumental like vibe as well. If, if there's lyrics or like any type of, yeah, like speaking, I can't like people who listen to podcasts while writing. I'm like, how do you, how do you do that? How does your brain do that? <laughs> yeah. I don't get that either. My spouse can do that. And that is completely mystifying to me because it's like words and then more words. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Even music is a bit too much sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I've been very into like cozy YouTube channels mm. that are like eight hours of just like rain falling down or like maybe it's a <laughs> coffee shop sounds or whatever. Um, and that's mm. like the only way I can focus. But do you have like favorite like snacks or caffeinated beverages that you that you uh, turn to during this writing process? I'm a Starbucks person. I mm. I, I am ashamed of that, but um, <laughs> I love a toffee nut latte. That's probably mm. what I drank the most while I was writing this book. Oh my gosh, yum! That sounds delicious. Yeah, I I always just just so curious what people kind of like what their setup looks like. So I know this is like your first book coming out or that is out already, but I'm wondering if there are things that kind of like surprised you about either the writing, editing or the publishing process in general. Yeah, I mean, I think the most surprising thing for me was how long everything took, like being somebody who comes from mostly writing online and like you could put something up and have comments within minutes. And this like I it's been a two year long process in terms of like writing the book and then edits and then finding the illustrator and going back and forth on the illustrations and all of that. And everything got pushed back six months because of the pandemic as well. So very long ago, like basically I wrote the book two years ago and it's just now coming out. And that was, you know, kind of a struggle because I am used to that instant feedback. Yeah, I guess just the other thing was that like, I was surprised by how much research and fact-checking went into this book and like it should, but I just, I guess, hadn't really thought that far ahead when I was pitching it. But yeah, there's so many kinks that I really wanted to capture accurate safety information. And many times that took like hours of looking at research studies and reading things that doctors have written and, you know, especially kind of more dangerous things like electro simulation. I wanted to make sure that I got all the details right on that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I haven't really like explored kink research, but is there a lot out there? Yeah, there's there's a pretty significant amount of it. A lot of it okay. is kind of pathologizing. A lot of it has the vibe of like vanilla people looking in being like, we just don't understand why these kinky people are the way they are. But then there's also mm -hmm. a lot of kinky researchers or like researchers who I would assume are kinky based on how they constructed their studies, looking into things like the mental headspaces that you can get into in kink and how those can be kind of like psychologically restorative and like good for your overall mental health. There's also just interesting interpersonal stuff about how kinky people date. Yeah, I get, I love getting really nerdy about the scientific research. It's, it's fascinating to me. I agree. Well, and as someone 
who is like kind of new to like the kink world, I like this idea of like subspace and dom space is particularly interesting to me. I just like, Mm -hmm. like that idea that your brain literally kind of like flips a switch into this and and enters this like new space because Mm -hmm. of sort of like what's happening. And yeah, I I don't know if I have a a specific question around that, but I just find (laughs) it really interesting. But if you had like other like pieces that like kind of connect to that kind of like the way that folks brain kind of reacts to to kinky like situations um Mm -hmm. I'm always interested in hearing that yeah sure some of my favorite research is also on on the headspaces stuff a lot of people compare it to flow state or you know being in the zone or kind of like a runner's high type of thing as a kinky writer I always really resonate with those descriptions of subspace and top space as being in the zone in the same way that a writer can be in the zone when they're like really you know, working on a project and really in that flow state kind of space. And there's research about flow state more generally, which shows that it's really good for your brain. Like it reduces stress. It makes you feel more effective at the things that you're doing. It kind of just like shores up your self-image in some ways. And I think that all of those things are also true of kinky headspaces. Yeah, no, that that makes total sense to me, that linkage between kind of flow state and kinky headspaces. And I wonder, is there anything on sort of like the the pain aspect of things? Like I know, like obviously not all kinky things include pain, but I'm just wondering if like, you know, in particular, like that sort of like subspace I'm thinking of in, in particular, like how that like links up to like any kind of like pain play or other things like that, um, or if that's like not related at all. Yeah, um, I've been interested in this a lot lately because of getting my fibromyalgia diagnosis. And I've pretty much used kink as a pain relief tool for like the entire time that I've had chronic pain. I'm very interested in reading about like how other people do that. And there is some research on that in terms of like why it helps. Like some people say that it very much is just the endorphins that are released during pain play. Some people say that there's more of like a mental or psychological element of like maybe you feel like you're accomplishing something or you're proving that you're strong by taking that amount of pain, which can be really a hard feelings to come by when you're living with chronic pain or an invisible disability. There are people who talk about how pain makes them feel more connected to their partners. There are people who talk about the way that it can be really powerful to experience and ask for consensual pain when you're going through your days feeling a ton of non-consensual pain. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating stuff. I still feel like there's a lot of science left to be done in terms of helping us understand the mechanisms behind these things better. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And particularly research that like, isn't pathologizing or like yeah. kind of like voyeuristic in that way too. Like I would love right. to see like more people who, you know, either outwardly or otherwise identify as kinky, like being able to do that research. Yeah, totally. Well, so I know that your book launch party is, is tonight. Um, and I'm wondering what like that book launch like process looks like, right? Like, what do you have kind of coming down the pike to celebrate the the release? Yeah. I've mostly just been doing a lot of podcast guest appearances. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I find them pretty fun. I find them manageable in terms of my illness, as well as my current like COVID risk uh, tolerance, but I did want to have some kind of celebration for the launch of the book. I'm a person who like really struggles to celebrate my successes. This is something that my partner is like always trying to encourage me to be better at because uh, I'll just be like, I don't know. It was okay, I guess. We don't need to make a big <laughs> deal about it. But my partner like pretty much insisted that that we have a party. So um, 
I'm throwing this little launch thing at uh, the KGB bar Red Room in New York City. And I'm going to be reading from the book and then also going to be doing some live demos of a few of the kinks in the book. Nothing too, too racy because it is happening in a, in a bar, like (laughs) I had to keep it somewhat tame, but I'm excited to do that. I'm also just really nervous. So this is actually a good distraction from my nervousness that I've just been like sitting (laughs) in all day. So thank you. Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to uh, to see people and, and sign people's books and stuff. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, it, it feels good to like have gotten to the point in the pandemic where like some form of like interaction feels okay. But I know like, you know, from the folks that I've talked to who've had books come out, like it still is just kind of this weird pandemic-y space where it's like, mm, we can't do like a full like tour or anything like that. And so we don't really know like what that looks like in terms of like virtual celebration. But I feel like podcast guesting, I feel like is a very like manageable thing for, for you and also like a helpful thing. Like I know that's how I found out about a bunch of books is like listening to authors on different podcasts. Yeah, I totally agree. That's kind of why I wanted to do it is that I know from my own experiences that I feel more inclined to buy and read people's books when I've heard them actually talk about it. I think it's much more like humanizing than just like reading an article about it. And also it's just really interesting how different people approach the conversation about this book, like whether they want to talk more about like the process or about like the, you know, potential impact of it or, you know, various different things. It's been fun. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that I didn't even think about the potential impact, but now I'm like, oh, maybe we should ask about that. But yeah, like, like, yeah. How do you see it like fitting into sort of like the kink space, the sex writing space um, and sort of what, what it could potentially look like? My hope is that it would become something that gets recommended a lot to beginners. It's partly why I wanted to write it. Cause I know that I get a lot of emails from people being like, I think I'm kinky, but like now what? Like, I I don't even mm-hmm. know what the next step is. It might be that they don't really know what they want to try or what they're into, or it might be that they don't know how to bring it up with their partner, which is also something that I talk about in the book, or it might be that they're like struggling with shame or, you know, there's so many reasons. And I think that this could be a great resource for those folks, but in terms of impact in a, in a different sense, I, uh, I have been using the book for spankings lately and it's actually really good <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I've had a few people reach out after I was writing about that to say that they had also used it that way. And that it's, it's like remarkably well-suited for that task as if they had designed it for that. Like it does have a couple of sharp corners, like be careful with those, but kind of the side near the spine is great for impact and is very thuddy, which is fun for me. (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. (laughs) The tangible impact. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I, you kind of touched on this a little bit in that last answer, but like, I'm curious if someone is like new to kink or like potentially thinks they're kinky and like is partnered with someone where they're like, not sure that they would be into it or if not sure if they're kinky themselves, what does that conversation kind of look like to kind of bring it up? Yeah, I think if someone has like never had any kind of conversation about kink with their partner, that it might be best to kind of raise it indirectly. Like, you know, if you're watching a TV show or a movie together and there's a kinky thing happening in a scene to be like, oh, what do you think about that? Or to be like, I was just reading this article or I was listening to this podcast where this person was talking about her kinky book. Uh, What do you think about that? And just kind of gauge how they feel about it. And that'll give you a better sense of like how to approach them. But like, 
if you think that they're potentially open to it, I think that the best way is to kind of emphasize like your own excitement about the thing rather than just being like, I want you to do this to me. I think that it tends to work better to be like, I would find it so hot and such a turn on if you would do this to me or do this for me or with me or whatever it is. And also it's good to provide them with some kind of informational source because especially if it's like kind of a more technical kink that requires some skills, they may want some you know assistance with that, whether it be giving them a book like this or signing up for a membership to kinkacademy.com or you know, just giving them some websites that you trust just so that they can like read up on a little bit and like see if they want to do it. And like, if they do, then how to do it safely. Yeah. I I think that's really smart. And I'm, it's interesting. I'm seeing some parallels of like how you talk to like kids about sex, for example, of like, mm. yeah, you, you know, see it in media. And like, that's what we like, we encourage parents to do is like, when it comes up naturally, it's like a, it's an entry point to kind of talk about it. And I think it can definitely apply to like partners as well, um, mm-hmm. in a way that's like low pressure and not necessarily like a huge, like sit down kind of come to Jesus moment. <laughs> yeah. I think it can be really stressful if you're like, Hey, I have to tell you something and you seem all freaked out about it. And cause the way you frame the conversation is going to affect the way that they perceive what you're telling them. So yeah, I think keeping it lighthearted, focused on your desires is a good way to go. And a lot of the things in your book, like also include kind of like solo kink play as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really important to me because I get a lot of messages from folks who either don't feel ready to share their kinkiness with their partner or like have tried and it hasn't gone well. So they've just decided that they're going to keep that, you know, separate or they just don't have a partner, which might be because they haven't found one or it might be because they don't want one. All of that is valid. And I still think that all of those people deserve to be able to explore kink if that's what they want to do. So yeah, there's many suggestions throughout the book that you can do by yourself. And some of the coupled ones you can also kind of adapt to be able to do by yourself or to do with a friend or to do with like an internet stranger who you like do something online with maybe via a chat room or something. And I think that's really important. Absolutely. No, I'm super excited about that. And I'm excited to explore the book and I'm excited for you and to have, to have your, your book baby out in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to chat about it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, so you have your, your second book coming out in, in six months, but do you have any other projects that are kind of coming down the pike for you? Um, just I'm working on my podcast still. Question Box is on hiatus, but my other podcast, The Dildorks, which is about sex, dating, and masturbating, is one of my kind of main focuses right now. Also, my blog, girlyjuice.net. I'm not doing anything else too huge because, like, with the books coming out, I was just like, I need a rest for a little while. Mm-hmm. I don't blame you. <laughs> that <Yeah>. seems exhausting. <laughs> well, yeah. Thank you so much for for coming on. And like, what's one thing that the audience can do to support your work other than buy the book, obviously? <laughs> if you know anybody who is curious about kink or might be, you could buy them a copy of the book. The website for the book is 101kinkythings.com. And that has links for where you can get it. And uh, it's really pretty. I think it would make a really nice gift. Yeah. The cover is gorgeous. I love like the black and gold. Thank you. It is shiny in person and very pretty. It's kind of doing that like 50 shades, like kink is classy thing, but in a way that feels like actually classy to me. (laughs) 
um, and that isn't full of misinformation and consent violations like Fifty Shades of Grey. So. Right, 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 right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm super excited to uh, read your book and I'll make sure to link the website and all that good stuff in the show notes so folks can access it super easily. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.